Good evening, fellow world champions, and welcome back for another episode with me, Nick. As always, I'm joined by my good buddy and fellow back-to-back world champion, Ronald. Ronald, how are you? <laughs> no, it's great. How are you, fellow back-to-back world champion? Yeah, I know. Back-to-back champion. I'm good, man. It feels good. It feels great, you know. And something you pointed out to me this weekend, Ronnie, is that in four years' time, a team can equal our record, but no one's taking it for at least eight years. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a great idea. So, bottom line is, as long as the All Blacks don't win the next World Cup, uh, we will continue to be the best World Cup nation that there that there is. Yeah, and that's really what it is, right? Back to back. Yeah, yeah. So we went back to back in 2019. We won, and then now in 2023, we won again. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just the way. Hey, the Boca can't be kept down. <laughs> Those of you that do follow us on the socials will have known that Ronnie and I had an absolutely insane week. I was at court on Wednesday. I was busy with a trial and the message came in on my phone that Big Oxen Chair had two tickets available for the Rugby World Cup final. And I sent Ronnie a message and I was like, listen, I've got tickets to the World Cup. I've got my flights booked. See you there. And (laughs) a little... And And I said no. Yeah. Ronnie said, no, can you all believe it, eh? That's why he's so bad at Supergroup. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So maybe we'll start off by saying I have to actually say thank you to you because if it was up to me, we would not have gone. You know, I said, no. I said, you know, look, it's just too much. Uh, I was fortunate enough to watch two quarters in the semi. Granted, they weren't Springbok games, but I just thought it was, uh, you know, I'd already received everything I kind of wanted. But stupidly... Yeah, the biggest goal in my life was to to watch the Springboks win a World Cup and see it live, and and to do so against the team that I regard, or in a match that I regard to be the most intense and you know the highest the highest challenge that we as Springboks can face, being the All Blacks. Honestly, it was amazing. And look, did not look. I didn't enjoy it until the final whistle because <laughs> the whole entire time I thought, "Geez, I can't believe I'm actually watching the Springboks." versus the All Blacks at a Rugby World Cup final live in Paris, and we're going to lose this. And I thought, oh, man, yeah. So bucket list item, the, the number one item on my bucket list has been ticked. Uh, I suppose we might as well stop with this podcast. We might as well stop watching rugby because what more do we have to, yeah, we've to, lived. to do? <laughs> we've lived. We've yeah, lived. We've we have to now figure out what our next goal is. And, and in my opinion, it's Springboks winning the rugby championship in Dunedin or something. So absolutely, that's, that's the absolutely. next goal. But I mean, those tickets came in 24 hours later. I'm standing outside a train station in Paris waiting for Ronnie to connect with me that we can walk over to our hotel that we've booked. I mean, how unreal is that? And, you know, normally you've got these things planned out way in advance and you're counting yeah. on the days. Yeah. We could barely count down the hours until we ended up in Paris. And I, I'll be, I'd much prefer that because had I known months ago I was going to potentially see the final, I wouldn't have been able to sleep for months. Yeah. Uh, instead, I just wasn't able to sleep for 48 hours. Yeah, and absolutely incredible. So we arrived in Paris. We wanted to check into our hotel and we weren't able to because check-in was only at three in the afternoon. So what do any good mm-hmm. South Africans do? We went to try out the local beers and we stopped at the first yeah. bar that was open. And, you know, sitting there having a beer, one South African walks past, two South Africans walk past and it's, you know, nod of the head, Mora or Boka, it's going out. Boka. And then Even the English, uh, the Soti South Africans knew exactly what we were saying. Yeah. So we, there's no Afrikaners or Sotis or anything. 
we were all just South Africans. So the most English South African walked past and said, lekker, lekker, who found it, who found it. And it was uh, awesome to see. Absolutely. And if the Springbok jerseys weren't giving it away, the K-Way jackets certainly were. And yeah, we got joined yeah. by a good number of South Africans that came and sat at our table to have some beers with us. And a couple of All Blacks fans come walking past. So we start up with an ole, 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 ole. <laughs> and the vibe was just so epic, hey, Ronnie? Yeah, the streets were full of South Africans, right? There. I genuinely believe for every one New Zealander we saw, we, we saw 50 South Africans. So, you know, that... I could possibly be wrong there. It could have been a hundred South Africans for every one New Zealander on the streets of Paris. Yeah, at one point I thought we were in Paris because it really was like little <laughs> South Africa there. <laughs> but Ronnie, you look at this now, we check into this hotel. So I have a bad history between the two of us of booking dodgy accommodation because 2019 we went to Munich and on the plane, Ronnie's like, yeah, you know where you've booked yourself, booked us in in Munich. Like, no man, it's a hotel, whatever we get there. And literally the bathroom in our hotel was see-through glass from the top of, from halfway down. So like from your waist down, see-through into the bathroom. See-through. I mean, what is that? The top was frosted. So like belly button up was frosted glass, but everything below it. Important stuff was uh, in full display. And I, I remember you saying, "Yeah, I need to go shower, so stay in your lane." <laughs> yeah, <it's> ridiculous. <laughs> stay in your lane. Look the other way, John. You've got to be in the room like we were, and then you literally can't be in there without a person using the bathroom. So yeah, yeah I now book us into this place called the Hotel Joke. Fortunately, it wasn't a joke; it did exist when we got there. <laughs> <laughs> we cheap. went into For relatively room. cheap, right? Relatively cheap. Short notice, it was on Airbnb. But we get into this room, and my oh my, there's a full-blown mirror on the roof, like on the ceiling above the bed. So you wake up in the morning, and there's Ronnie looking at me. It's like, sup, buddy? (laughs) 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 It's a mirror. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bit unfortunate. But look, honestly, I I can't fault it, right? It was close to the metro. The metro went straight to the stadium where we stayed. We stayed... 100 meters from the Moulin Rouge. And uh, yeah, we went early enough that the trains went shambles. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So Friday night, we didn't manage to get tickets to the third, fourth playoff. Ronnie getting offered one and me refused one. <laughs> but we ended up going to an Irish pub. We met up with a mate from South Africa, Neil, there. And we got to watch the game between England and Argentina. Everyone backing Argentina. Hey, there were no English Everyone. side everyone so we found an irish pub and it was just english fans nowhere to be seen yeah it it was quite fun in that bar i'm not gonna lie i enjoyed that quite a bit and then we had a bit of an an early night to try get some sleep because we had a big day coming on saturday but then ronnie we got out for breakfast (laughs) and here we are two south africans english looking at this french menu so we pull out google translate and we think we're getting like an English muffin with an egg and bacon on it. Yeah. Outcomes. Like a mug and bean eggs Benedict. You know? Exactly. That's what Google Translate led us to believe. No, no. Yeah. Comes what I can only describe as dots of hummus on a plate with cut in half boiled eggs, which were cold. And cold the two bacon. smallest boiled eggs you've ever had. Yeah. And two pieces of streaky bacon that were also cold. And then... Yeah. I think a little the smallest coffee on the top <laughs> and then and then just to top it off with the tiny tiny coffee honestly what do the europeans not enjoy about coffee they have small coffees yeah. sure it's an espresso but you know two sips into it and you're done yeah let's be honest i was very happy to get my hands on a seattle coffee when i landed back in south africa last night right. but yeah i mean we complained about 24 hours in cape town we did 40 hours in paris now the ultimate smash and grab we went there to 
to see the boys win yeah. the trophy. Yeah. But Ronnie, let's quickly chat about going to, well, first we had beers with Dan from Shortball Rugby. Really like it to meet him yeah. officially and in person. I worked for him in 2019. New Zealander, Kiwi. He didn't have tickets to the game, but I think he was rooting for them quite, quite deeply. And then we he was went... rooting for me to pull out as well because I was complaining about my anxiety and, yeah. and heart palpitations and all of that. Yeah, he was very, he's like, no, don't worry, buddy. You can go spend your night in the hotel or watching it on TV. He will happily take my ticket. <laughs> but then, yeah, we went through to the stadium nice and early. You know, we really wanted to get involved in the vibe and the game day. And that's when it was even more South African. We're standing at yeah. the bar there. Shosha Laws is playing first and then Yirkomi Boka and Dela Ray and all of these songs coming out. It was yeah. unreal. Johnny Clegg. Johnny you know, Clegg. All over the show. And it was just listening to people speak Afrikaans. You know, it, at no point did I hear the French being spoken. It was just South African accents all around. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was so, so lacquer. I really had a good time there. We had a good few beers. We were smart, though. We didn't drink, what, two hours before going into the stadium, just so that we wouldn't have to use the bathroom and miss any of the, the game. And could We had wine the- right before the game started again, but that was just to, to hydrate, you know? And then, yeah. like you said, very smart. That We made a decision that we were going to watch the game and not spend the time going to the toilet. And, and it paid off because there was a lot of rugby to be watched, a lot of tense moments. No, absolutely. So in the stadium, we had really lacquer seats. We had a good view. Unfortunately, we had a roof over us because it was pissing down with rain in Paris. It was absolutely soaking wet. I'm sure you guys saw it on the TV. And the players actually did pretty well handling the ball in those conditions because it was quite atrocious. Yeah, I mean, look, in the middle of the game, it stopped raining a bit. But before the game and especially after the game, a lot of rain. But fortunately, we were undercover for whatever whatever amount of rain there actually ultimately was. And But yeah, I agree. Great seats. We were elevated, the upper level, but near the front. And that's personally where I enjoy watching rugby from. I know going to the stadium, you don't actually go to watch the game. You go for the for the experience and the vibe and the atmosphere. And, uh, you know, I personally just like the sitting elevated. You know, if you think Kings Park or Ellis Park, where you sit a little bit higher up and you look down on the field, you can really see how the backline stretches out and where the space is. And it's really entertaining to watch the entire game there. And so personally, you know, I, I don't, I don't, sitting where we did i was very grateful for roof too. yeah no, absolutely ronnie and then i mean <laughs> we had a bit of a laugh because the the opening set or the closing ceremony started and mika comes on the stage i'm like hey there's mika you call me i'm a bloody idiot that's not mika but what did france well i don't know what mika looks like i thought mika was a, like an american performer and oh well, i suppose he's french yeah well I mean, they're not going to hire an impersonator to come and only perform Mika songs <laughs> one after the other. But you're very lucky you didn't take that 100 euro, 100 euro bet against me. I was close. You said, I bet you 100 euros, that's Mika. And I said, no, it's ridiculous. But you know what? I'm not taking a bet like that because 100 euros will get you far in South Africa, you know? No, absolutely, it would. And then we see Beast in Tawarira coming out onto the field. How bloody epic nice. was that, eh? Good to see the Beast yeah. there supporting the boys. And Mm -hmm. before we get on to the game then, after the game, some good celebrations, but we didn't realize or we miscalculated that the clocks were changing. So at 4.30 in the morning, I have Ronnie marching me around like a drill sergeant as if we're late for the train. And meanwhile, we're an hour bloody early for the thing. So absolute chaos in the room. We've never experienced that at all. I suppose the majority of our listeners are South African, so maybe they can relate to to this scenario. Those that are from where the clocks do change 
will probably think we were idiots. But basically, you know, we went to bed after a couple of beers and we're trying to decide, like, well, what happens now? The clocks are changing. It's going to go from 2.57, 58, 59, back to 2 a.m. or something ridiculous. Yes. And we're trying to compensate. Does that mean our train's going to be in? Yeah, do we need to compensate for this? We ultimately didn't have to. We just got a bonus hour to sleep in. But but you're right. I woke up, looked at my watch. My Garmin watch had not updated. My Obviously, your phone and my phone had, but my watch hadn't. I was there like, listen, man, we have actually got to get up now, <laughs> feeling very tired. And then you, you took out a turn to me and said, listen, you're an idiot. Go back to sleep. So yeah. There were a lot of walking wounded in the Paris airport on, on Sunday morning as we headed out of there. And they pulled my bag aside to give my bag a surge. And one South African pipes up from the back. They're looking for the trophy. <laughs> that was a good laugh. But yeah, let me tell you, the first good three hours of that flight, it was just Oaks and Springbok jerseys passed out. That's that's what it was. So I, leaving Paris actually at the train station, also wearing my Springbok jersey, I just felt something burning on the side of my head and I kind of looked up and there was Flip. Flip von Amadva, you know, walking through the train station, gave me just kind of, he was staring at me and I kind of looked at him and he just like put a fist in the air and like, and I acknowledged him and, and yeah, so... Then thought, you know, I'm not going to run off to let him be. And ultimately bumped into him on the same train back to, back to, I, th- I suppose he got off at Barrett's. So that's where he's living now. But good to see Flip. I've got a, got a picture with him finally. So I think you have a confession for our listeners because I can see you smile <laughs> coy there, Ronnie. We were at, what was it, St. Stidian's back in the day at a Springbok training camp. Can you tell everybody what yeah. you did, Ronnie? The moment got a bit ahead of me, got a little bit big for me. Got very excited upon meeting Flip and basically I panicked and I, I just, I said, instead of calling him Flip, I, could, I said, Willem, can I get your hood cry as a belief? And he looked at me as if I was the biggest idiot in the world and he shook his head. He's like, yeah. And he walked <laughs> off and it's only, you know, afterwards that I was like, why did I call him Willem? And he must, honestly, I'm so ashamed that I've been cringing for the longest time. So when I initially saw him in the air, in the train station this time around, I thought, I have an opportunity to apologize to him, but you know what? I'm just going to let it slide. And when I ultimately bumped to the train again with him, I said, can I have a photo? Listen, I've gotten a confession. I just want to get this off my chest. Ten years ago, I called you Willem. And he just laughed. He's like, yeah, many people have done that over the years. So don't worry about it. I feel a lot better. It's off my back now. It's just one of those weights. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I feel great. So uh, yeah, I no longer feel like a moron. Well, Ronnie, let's quickly take a short look at the England-Los Pumas game. That was the bronze final played on Friday night, also in the rain. England coming out 26 to 23 point victors. England had a strong start. They really put the Pumas under pressure quite early. And credit to Los Pumas for making a comeback in the game. But a lot of question around the England tactics deployed in this World Cup. They seem to be doing the old Springbok kicking, chasing penalty game. What did you make of that, Ronald? Look, I think that's the way England play. If there's another team in the world that plays 10-man rugby like the South Africans do or traditionally played 10-man rugby like the traditional Springboks do, it's England. You know, that's that's what they do. So the fact that yeah, both teams at some points during the World Cup try to swing it a bit wide, it's, it's non-customary. But look, yeah, different tactics. They tried something. And we have to give credit to England, right? They may not be doing well between World Cups and but they really know how to go to those dark places the way the South Africans do sometimes and put on some, you know, it's ugly performances, but for, for the purists of, of the game, you know, they love to see that, that big forward battle, that grind. And, and, and 
you know, see a team come away with a victory. So they made it all the way to, I suppose, the bronze side, winning the bronze. But, you know, they took it very good. We went right to the edge with, with them in the semis, and we only managed to beat them by one point. So it's testament to, you know, Borthwick's, you know, we've given him a lot of trouble over the nine months, ten months that he's been in charge. But maybe we should give him some credit for what he was able to achieve. Yeah, I mean, he did better than any other Northern Hemisphere side, just putting that out there. England coming in third, finishing third in the World Cup with that victory. Some good English players bowing out. I was very sad to see Courtney Laws retiring. He's a player that I absolutely love. I know you're a big fan of him as well, Ronnie. And physical sheen on the field with that long flank. Yeah, Ben Youngs, Danny Kerr, probably the Vinopola brothers, probably Tuolagi. A lot of English legends bowing out. So it'll be interesting to see what Borthwick can do with this side going forward. Mm. And then you look at Los Pumas. Your boy Gus Creevy out of the picture now. Yeah. Michael Checker leaving. Nick Sanchez. You know, a lot of a lot of big name players that are also leaving their squad. And it'll be interesting to see how they go go from here too. Yeah, a little bit disappointed that maybe, you know, Gus Creevy didn't get his his beautiful uh beautiful result a beautiful into a beautiful career for him you know yeah. first first argentinian player to reach 100 test caps and finish fourth in the world cup it's not bad it's it's good and you know a lot of people write them off and they still manage to get to the bronze final granted they lost it but but yeah it's sad to see but yeah, good career for a number of those players yeah so they bow out they can hold their heads up high for sure but let's dive into the one that's talking worth talking about ronnie the one point we had to prove through a quarter, a semi, and again a one-point win in the final. Springboks 12, All Blacks 11. We did it, boy. Back yeah. to back. Is it like Ox said? I think it was Ox that said this, and I, I heard the quote somewhere that we won this World Cup by three points. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> we did smash and grab there in France against France, against England, and against the All Blacks. We did it. But Ronnie, let's start for the selection first. So it was soaking wet in Paris. and. The number of South Africans we spoke to, it gave us a fair amount of confidence with the 7-1 split. You know, the wet weather rugby, having those additional forwards was going to prove worthwhile. We had a few scares. We saw Chesie go down and get his thigh strapped. We saw Jesse Creel take a shoulder to the face. And it was worrying at times what was coming there. But ultimately, we got through. The So was that selection one you felt was right for the game? No, I don't actually. I think... Look, it worked out. The boys know how to scrap. But I think when Bongi went out, I got very nervous. Look, all credit to Dion Faree. What a legend. And we'll, we'll definitely talk about him and, you know, how great he actually is. But I thought at the time that it would probably have been a lesser risk to have a spe- another specialist hooker in the team, you know. And, you know, Joseph Dweba, maybe he should have been there, right? Maybe we would have seen some stability with the lineouts. I don't know. But when Bongi went down, unfortunately for early in the game for the second World Cup in a, in a row. I felt very sorry for him, but I was very concerned for how the team was going to perform. And we noticed it. You know, our lineouts weren't great. But look, Dion Ferry, well, well done. Well bloody done. Crucial turnovers throughout the game. And who knew, 37 years old? 38. And, you know, 38. And came comes on World Cup final play, 77 minutes of World Cup final. He After he played his last game for Stormers, they just figured, no, oh, that's the end to that. You know, 77 minutes in the World Cup final and crucial turnovers throughout there. And, and we definitely won. It wasn't pretty. But yeah, I was a little bit nervous. And I probably, in hindsight, would have still liked a specialist hooker as a, as a, as a bench option. But yeah, it worked out. So 
Yeah, whatever. If it works, it works. Yeah, I mean, talking about Bongi, and we'll get onto the incident itself just now, but I mean, he went out in the third minute of this World Cup. He also got injured in the 2019 final, 18 minutes longer on the pitch there than he was this weekend. But Ronnie, something we didn't pick up in the stadium, which I thought is actually pretty special. Did you realize that Dion Ferry captained the box on Saturday night? When Dwayne left the field, Dion Ferry took over the captaincy of the Springboks. 38 years old, oldest debutant ever, called on to play. Is that when Sia was in the field? Hey. Sia's obviously off the field as well. Sia's off, Dwayne was off, Bongi was off, and Dion Ferry captained them through the final minutes of the test. So, well, he's captained us before, right? Yeah, so epic, epic to see. Well done to Dion Branas. You know, he put in everything I saw. He he did a press conference. He says the body was killing him in the 75th <laughs> minute, but he knew he had to dig deep and get through it all. But like you say, it was a big risk not having a replacement for Bongi. So let's take a look quickly at his injury coming in the third minute, an early clean out from Shannon Frizzell, resulting in a yellow card for Frizzell. Are you happy that it stayed as a yellow card? Yeah, I do. I do think it's, I'm happy. Look, I even think that maybe a yellow card is a bit harsh, but it's just unfortunate how he felt. There was nothing malicious in it. They just found himself on the wrong side of the ball. And I think that was, that was right throughout the game. You saw the All Blacks making a tackle and falling on the wrong side of the ball. And then yeah. that's obviously a tactic of theirs, maybe just to get in the way of, uh, of our, of, you know, of our players coming into ruck over the ball so they definitely did that intentionally but yeah look it's it's unfortunate for Bongi, but but it happens yeah i think let's get over all the card incidents first so we can get the bad stuff out the way and then get back onto all the good that we saw on saturday so then there was another just, card. just before you go though Bongi went off as a tactical substitution rather than an, as an injury do you know this yeah. Yeah, And that's why we saw Bongi warming up on the side of the field, because a specialist position like that, if you make a tactical substitution, the front row of the player returned to the field. And so that, I think, was also very important to understand. Yes, he didn't ultimately come back onto the field, but they felt that, you know, we'd rather tactically substitute him than declare him, declare him unfit to play the rest of the game. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we did see him warming up. And that's testament again to Rassi and Jacques' understanding of the laws that they knew in that moment that's what they needed to do in case they needed Bongi to come back on, they would still have him available. Because in a game like that, with the power scrum we have, you don't want it going to uncontested scrums. Ronnie, Sam Kane then gets a yellow card for a high tackle on Jesse Creel, shoulder pretty much to the face. Upgraded to a red card. That was in the 30th minute. First ever red card for Sam Kane. Was it a red? That the first red in a final too. No, Ben Smith was red carded in the 2015 final. Yeah, look, I think we, we have to admit that at the time we were South African fans and we were cheering for a card in the stands and we were shouting when we saw the replay and, you know, as fans do. And I think it's fair to do that in the game. But afterwards, we kind of have to acknowledge that it's not nice to see cards you know, like especially a red card in the final. And and yeah, it, it was, I feel sorry for the New Zealanders because that adds a lot of pressure to them. But look, regardless, they stepped up. They honestly stepped up and New Zealand went to another gear and they played an incredible game with only 14 players for 50 minutes of on the field. Absolutely, they really did. They managed to keep it tight and put a lot of pressure on it because four minutes after that was the last time we scored points in the game. But then Ronnie... Sia gets a yellow card in the 46th minute for a high tackle on Adi Sevilla. Then that was judged to remain a yellow card. Was that a card? Yeah. Look, every fan's going to have his own opinion, right? But there's head contact, sure. But that sort of glancing blow, right? He makes the contact at the chest and it 
it progresses upwards towards the head. There's head contact, sure, yellow card will offense, but just seemed like Sam Kane dipped up enough and made direct contact with, with Jesse's head, whereas Sia made contact with the chest and it moved up. So there was more mitigation in that. And sure, I think yeah. uh, fair enough. Yellow card, captain of the field. And I think on the Sam Kane incident, just one last detail to add in there, there's People are talking about the drop in height of Jesse Creel, but there's a difference between running at a specific height, which Jesse was, versus a sudden drop in height just before contact. Jesse was that mm. height the whole way through, you know, so mm. that, that's where the law appreciation also comes in. And then, Ronnie, another yellow card for Cheslin Colby in the 73rd minute, which I think is what had Shame. us panicking. That was for Shame. a deliberate knockdown from a Jordy Barrett pass attempt. Yeah, the law's the law. Sure, deliberate knockdown, but I I think that that's a law in rugby that needs to be looked at. I think the word deliberate is used very loosely there because I don't think players deliberately ever try and knock a ball away. They're, it's always instinctive. It's them trying to go for the intercept or tap the ball up or something, you know. Nobody ever deliberately tries to knock, knowing knowing that you're going to get carded for it. I think it's it's very harsh to say that that, that sort of action is cynical. So I, I would like the law re-looked at, but you know, as it stands, the law states, if you do that, you're going to get carded and potentially put penalty try if you're in a specific position on the field. So yeah, he goes off and I, I don't disagree. It's, he went off and that's, that's, that's the law. Yeah, I think he felt 65 million South Africans on his shoulders that night, an anxious wait in the last seven minutes. But interestingly for me, Ronnie, there's only ever been one card handed out in a World Cup final before, which is Ben Smith in 2015. And in this World Cup final, there were four. And I think a trend we've seen throughout the tournament is when teams are under pressure, they start to crack and make these mistakes, which give away these cards. And I think that's testament to the game we saw on Saturday, that it was so tight and so intense that both teams slipping minor discipline issues, causing them to get carded. Absolutely. So it was, it was such an even battle. Two incredible forces going up against one another. And yeah cards coming out because that's how that's how close the margins were but i think look bottom line is for any team and it's easy to say now i'm being on the winner's side of the fence but i think it's important for for us, us as south africans to also remember because we've been in these positions many times you need to play and take the ref out of the game you need to be score you need a plan to be a score or two ahead so that you've got a much larger buffer zone so that cards that the effect of a card is mitigated. And that's important. If you lose as a result of the impact of a card, you need to look at yourself and say, why did we not score more points? Or why did we not defend better to put ourselves in a position to to have a buffer if when if and when a card comes? So yeah, but again, look, it's it's with we've got a bit of winner's remorse on this side. So I do feel for the Kiwis. But and it's easy to say on this side. But that's the way that the game is. And I if you don't love that about rugby, if you don't love the variability that it sometimes has, uh, then, you know, there's other sports you can watch. Well, Ronnie, I think in the beginning of the game, at least the first 20 to 30 minutes, we definitely felt like we had momentum on our side. The box had Pollard slotting his penalties. We were doing very, very well. And none more so than Peter Steff to toy with his man of the match performance. He got 28 out of 31 tackles, which is massive. The previous highest ever in a World Cup final was Richie McCall. 18. With 18. So Peter yep. Steph is smashing that record. The Mal- Malmesbury missile he's been dubbed because poor Geordie Barrett took two heavy shots. Munga took one. Scott Barrett took one. And we could feel them up in the stands. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, very rarely. You see big hits like that one, maybe two a game, you know? Sometimes you don't see any games with big hits like that. And we just repeatedly saw them. We saw them from Eben too. You know, that the players were tackling like they never, like, like they'd been tackling for a hundred years and they knew everything about tackling. And yeah. uh, I think ultimately we made 208 tackles as a team, which is an incredible showing of, I don't know, defense. Tenacity. And credit to Jacques Ninova, right? So he's the, uh, that's his department. He's made that very clear. That's him. He did that. He well, made don't you think team. it was a master stroke from Rassi appointing the world's best defensive coach to defend the World Cup title? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could argue that. But uh, look, those guys, every single one of them, every member of the coaching staff from Rassi to Jacques to Zondilistic, Dion Davids, you know, they, uh, every single, and the players themselves, everybody knew their role and everybody contributed in one way or the other. No, they really did. It was impressive from the guys. You know, we had that early momentum. We had the points on the board, but you're never going to stop Bowden Barrett when he's in the kind of form that he's in. He ran in for a try to get the All Blacks on the board. And then, you know, things started to look a little bit scary. I think you starting to go a little bit bald after this weekend, eh, Ronnie, all that stress. Yeah. So I, I was very animated in the first half and because we had the momentum on our side as Springboks, you know, we were very dominant. And in the second half, when we weren't scoring points, I went very, very quiet. And, and I just I couldn't, couldn't believe that I was going to watch us lose to the All Blacks. And um, it was heartbreaking. And, but honestly, the guys around me, a lot of big Springbok fans, and they kept me upbeat and pulled it off, man. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie... What do you make of our lineout issues? So obviously having Dion there was a little bit mm. difficult. He, he wasn't so accustomed to throwing in. But that was something that hurt us. On the same note, though, All Blacks had only lost one lineout the whole tournament. And then Cody Taylor also struggling. Was it the conditions more than the players themselves? Or what was going on there? Yes, it was the pressure. It was the, it was the pressure from both sides. You know, two incredible forces going up against one another and you're trying to you're just trying to not mess up. And look, yeah, <laughs> Dion, Dion Ferry made a couple of errors at line time, but he's been recently playing his trade back row more than, you know, never at test level at hooker. And he comes on and is expected to to be pinpoint accurate. And whoa, had we lost the game, we would have probably looked at that and said, geez, that's, that's where we lost it. But no, like, like Jacques said, you know, there's 12 or 15 lineouts in a game and there's 150 rucks. And, uh, Dion brought it when it came to turnover ball in turnover ball. Ronnie, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention the old Quacha Smith because man, oh man, I had a World Cup final. Came on, 22 minutes played, three crucial turnovers. Yeah. And it was the most turnovers in a game from any player. Incredible. No, it's incredible to see. And it was even Justin Marshall in the lead up to the final that said that he'd potentially consider Quacha Smith if you could choose one player to, to be in the all-black team, he would put Kocha Smith in there in place of Sam Kane, actually. So he would have subbed their actual captain out for Kocha. Yeah, I think he's one of the unsung heroes of this World Cup campaign because the versatility he brought from the bench, coupled with the massive performances he was able to put on, I mean, it really, really helped the Borka come through a number of tough fixtures. He really was a point of... Yeah, it's, absolutely. And it's said a number of times as well that he's our backup uh, back. You know, and we haven't seen that yet. You know, sure, he's he's linked up in the back line, sure, but uh, I was I was waiting for for a, a scenario where he was actually really called upon to to 
to play the role of a backline player of a winger or something. And fortunately, it didn't happen. But also, I would have liked to have seen that because I'm sure that he could slot in anywhere. I'm sure you could even make him a prop and he'll, he'll outscrum someone. Yeah, and he's 29, I think, which is unbelievable. It, yeah, he says he's possibly got another World Cup in him. Yeah. And uh, maybe he could get a third medal. Yeah, imagine, hey, the three-peat. <laughs> maybe he's our captain yeah because yeah Quaka really massive massive performance from him at this world cup and especially in the final those three turnovers were crucial especially the one from will jordan when chesley made the tackle so Quaka, <laughs> that was a fantastic video to see chesley colby picking up will jordan and Quaka comes along and says no i'm not going to get involved in this tackle i'm just going to take the ball thank you that was literally smash and grab that's <laughs> <It was laughs> exactly what it was so yeah the boys did us flip and proud ronnie i think you and i both had the absolute time of our lives at that game and then i must give you credit for one of the best jokes i've heard this year was Yevon etzebeth getting his hair cut at five o'clock in the morning by archer snayman cutting a bit of a mohican in there and there's ronnie well they don't call him snayman for nothing <laughs> that was a good one <laughs> For those that don't understand Afrikaans, snay is to cut. So it's like cutting man or cut man. <laughs> a good it's laugh. It's funny when you explain the joke, Nick. Oh, but not everyone is Afrikaans that listens to our podcast. We've got listeners all over the world. So it's important sure. that they can understand it too, like me. We, we do apologize to the, to the rest of the world, people that aren't South African that potentially listen to this. Uh, Nick and I are proper South African, proper box fans. So we love the spring box. Yeah, and we are gloating a little bit. Sorry for that. but. Yeah, we're very proud of our boys for what they've achieved and for what they've done for the country. I mean, you could see it in the scenes today when they arrived back in South Africa. Everyone is just on such a high. I mean, driving to work this morning, I was blaring here, call me Boca out of my car. Mm. The vibe at home is really epic. Ronnie, tell us, where did you finish on Super Brew? Honestly, oh, we're still playing that ridiculous thing. You realize we won the World Cup, eh? Like, Super Brew really doesn't matter. The only thing second to winning the world cup is the fact that i know i beat you on super so i'm keen to hear where you finished please okay whatever if we have to go through this right now so the rugby punted i finished 1957 1957 you're ronnie well done buddy i won't give you any i just want to say i just want to say i backed my final call of super brew and, and we all know that the final game is the one that really matters I called Springboks by one. Hey, you got it on the money, hey? That shows on how poor you were for the rest of the tournament. That just <laughs> so but that one on the money. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I, I suppose if we have to talk about the rugby punted Super Brew pool, there is a bit of... Look, I'm going to go second place, first place, and then third place. Okay? In, our, in, the, in the rugby punted Super Brew. And, and you'll know why. In second place, we have Andre, legend. 62.75 points. Okay, no, so I'll go to Andre. And in first place, we've got Neil Strutz on 63.5 points. So that's also very well done. But Nick, in third place, do you know who's in third place? Oh, Nick's in third place, Ronnie. Harry DeLieu. Um, Harry, lacquer. So um, Harry. Looks for the punted from time to time. Very well done. Yeah. I actually saw he finished top in a number of pools throughout the World Cup. Yeah, so out of 3,208 people he finished third so that's it's a big pool that we managed to put together here for super brew and um harry he finished third and honestly if uh, people don't know um harry um harry's been to a number of of games he was a scrammy of note for uh, a long time ago in for the lions and whatnot so 
King of the Dive Legend. Boss. King of the Dive Boss. I think one of the pictures that he sent to us is him horizontal or parallel to the to the ground. And yeah, it's always sad to see when a scrum does so well. But uh, Wim Harry, if you are listening, you got this far. Well done. Well, well done. But like Ronnie said, Niels Tutor, you are our superest of brews. So guys, if you finished in the top three, please pop me a message on any of the socials or on our emails with your address and we'll be sending some May Fokchong merch to you. Niels, you also win some Keep Moving Apparel, some box socks, as well as a rugby ball light. So you're our big winner in this tournament. The other guys, you guys are going to get some lacquer hats, some shirts, and everyone that's now listening, please join us for the URC. That's about two and a half thousand players in that tournament. Prizes up for grabs constantly, some merch giveaways constantly. So please come and join us, guys. It's really, really like a playing against all of you. And it's epic to see Ronnie losing so badly because I came 168, yeah. Ronnie. Okay. My pick for the final made me climb 117 spots. So I just missed out on the top 150, but that's a good few thousand ahead of you. Nick, Superbrew doesn't matter now. Okay, shall we look at the overall Superbrew no, medals no, 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 no. table? So moving on, we can then take a look. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, those were not the only prizes up for grabs this week. There was also the World Rugby Awards. Now, I wrote a bit of an article. I was in a bit of a bad mood at Dubai Airport when I saw who had won what awards. Let's start with Player of the Year. So Adi Sevier wins Player of the Year. He's beating out Bundi Aki, Yabin Etzebeth, and Antoine Dupont. I can't really argue with Adi. He's a phenomenal player. He had a great World Cup tournament and 2023 at large. Only other player to ever win World Player of the Year but lose a World Cup final was Terry Dusatar in 2011. So big call from World yeah. Rugby, but I can't complain about Adi winning it. I would have loved to have seen Yabin uh, get it. I'm not going to complain. Well done, Audi. And Eben, absolute class, comes out and says, you know what? You're here for the team award. You're here for this trophy. If you're in it for an individual award, you should probably be playing tennis. So well done to Eben <laughs> for that one as well. <laughs> then we've got Breakthrough Player of the Year. We have Mark Talea winning that one. He was competing with Marnie Lubbock, Tomati Williams, and Louis Bialbieri. I, I honestly could have tipped Marnie for that, eh? A player that came from sure. Nova included in the box setup this year and got us all the way to a World Cup final as the starting 10. Yeah, look, I look, I agree, Marnie, but I think Marnie as a breakthrough player for South Africans, we've we've we 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 agreed that he was our breakthrough player of the year, possibly even Kanan. Oh, you know, well done to or Kurtley even. But yeah, on a, on the world stage, maybe Mark Talia, it's deserved. Then the one that I do not agree with at all is Andy Farrell winning coach of the year. Now, yes, people have, I've engaged a little bit too much on the socials with people on this issue, but Andy Farrell, incredible coach, can't take it away from him. But everyone must remember this award is a yearly award. He's already been given an award for winning the series in New Zealand and all that they achieved there. This was this year. Ireland lost one game, but it was a crucial game. It was a game Ireland's never made it through before. And I don't feel like that was taken into account because, yeah, he won a Six Nations Grand Slam. Very well done. But the game that mattered most, the game that that whole country was hanging on, Ireland failed to win. You look at Jacques Nienaber. I can understand why Jacques didn't get it because there's a lot of talk about Rassi pulling the strings and whatever. But for me, the three other coaches nominated, I would have been happy with either of them. In Jacques, okay, we know what he achieved, World Cup winning coach. Simon Rawili from Fiji. I think everyone can be incredibly impressed with how Fiji fared at this World Cup and this year as a whole, beating the likes of England, beating Wales, qualifying for the quarterfinals. With the resources that they have and 14 games in the last four years, 
Very, very well done. That deserved to be rewarded. And then what about Ian Foster? He had to go through a coaching shakeup. He came into the World Cup with pretty much a full set of new coaches, Schmidt, Jason Ryan, and you know, Plum was let go. And he coached that side to a World Cup final, knowing he'd already lost his job. The public were against him and he proved them all wrong. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you. I think Andy Farrell deserves that. I thought he's done exceptional. I mean, how many games have equaled the record for the most games? Yes, they slipped at the end, but it's not a case of them, you know, had they could have won. They could have won the quarters. They could have won the same game. They could have gone out to win the final. They didn't. They, they didn't, but they very much could have. And I think we need to acknowledge that as South Africans that we won despite there being, you know, five other teams that could have won as well. And, and it's, it's the unlucky, unluck of the draw that they got, they got put up against South Africa and New Zealand and, and they beat the world champions. Now we can say that, that that's something that, that Andy Farrell, they beat the world champions and they beat fair the and square. Back world champions. <laughs> they beat the back to back world champions. Sure. So they were the only team to do so in the world cup and. Look, I think Andy Farrell, what he's managed to do with the Irish team, incredible. And they deserve to get better than the quarters. But, you know, so did New Zealand, who who ultimately kicked them out. Yeah. Well, Ronnie, then we move over to try of the year. And this is one I can't argue with. Duane van der Merwe winning it with his try in the Six Nations for Scotland yes. versus England. That was an incredible run from him. Yeah. I tend to like try of the year to go to a sort of a team try. You know, I think Aaron Smith got it in the last World Cup against Namibia. It was an incredible TJ. team try from... It was a TJ Perinara got it from against Namibia. Incredible team try scoring in the corner. You know, a lot of athleticism shown there. But Duan, this was a brilliant individual try. So he ran out from, you know, 60 meters from the try line, found himself in the midfield, put his head down, ran straight, and then a couple of steps and crash balls. And he was over the line to score a brilliant individual try. And sure... Brilliant try. We even said it at the time. That was an incredible try. Absolutely, it was. Definitely was. Ronnie, let's then go over to some of the news doing the rounds of this week. Eddie Jones quits the Wallabies. I think <laughs> before we get onto that, the fact that he had the audacity to say that Michael Hooper is not a role model within the Australian setup is very hectic. That's a bold accusation to level against a guy that's given so much to that jersey over the years. Yeah, I'd rather to keep those comments to yourself, right? If Michael Hooper is a bit of an, an abrasive person within the team setup, then yeah, sure, drop him. But don't don't go and kick the man while he's down. Michael Hooper, I, in my opinion, is, is a brilliant player. And is, I, I consider him a role model for Australian rugby and even world rugby, right? He's He's been a captain there for a long time. And uh, possibly Australia could have fared better had, he, had Eddie actually decided to take Hooper along and possibly even Cooper or one or two other players. Yeah, I think, you know, we've sang Eddie's praises a lot, but I think what he's done to the Wallabies this year is, is actually quite despicable. I think he's, he's damaged that team quite a lot. And we saw it on Friday night in Paris. We met up with a few Aussies, and they were part of a 4,000, 4,000 guys, strong group that traveled to the World Cup, but they only went for the quarters, the semi, and the final. So they paid all that <laughs> money to go there, and they didn't even get to see their team. Eddie sacrificed yeah, and- the World Cup to try and win a World Cup and then quits when it gets... Yeah, exactly. You don't need to lose a World Cup to win a World Cup. And uh, and that's what Eddie did. Like He's potentially playing towards 2027, home World Cup and winning. And, you know, what does he have to show for it? He played one team and then chose a second team for the World Cup and, and the second team wasn't able to to pull it off. And now he's, at, now he's out of a job or, well, potentially, I suppose, going to Japan. Yeah. So he says at the moment he has nothing lined up, but I'm pretty sure we all expect him to to end up in Japan. 
Ronnie, the Bok Trophy Tour, that's coming to Pretoria, Joburg, and Cape Town. I know guys are quite upset that it's not going to some East London cities. I'm going to be in court on Thursday. That's where I was in 2019, where they came past. So hopefully I'm going to get to see the boys come past and celebrate a little bit there. That'll be quite epic. Now we get on to the sad part of every World Cup cycle. And that's the players that we're going to be saying goodbye to. So I think let's first start with the All Blacks because there's a number of them there. Sam Whitelock, most capped player of all time. Brody Ritalik, Aaron Smith, Richie Moonga, Nepo Laulala, Shannon Frizzell, and Lester Fanganuku. All bowing out of Potentially Bowden. Potentially Bowden, potentially Ardy. You know, there's a number of legends in that All Black side. They've also got Razor coming in as coach, so he's going to start on a clean skate with a young, young squad be interesting to see what he does and then before we get on to the box we're also saying goodbye to ian foster fuzzy's leaving the all black setup and old jockey is leaving us for leinster so we're going to be saying goodbye to our world cup winning coach and you know the irish can consider themselves pretty lucky to be getting it sure sure then ronnie we look at the springbok squad i have good news for everybody sia khaleesi announcing today that he's not retiring so his move to not going to rule him out of the box setup which is great we're still going to have our captain for a while. I mean, he's 32 years old now. Whether or not he's got it in the tank to make another World Cup, I'm not so sure. But probably got a good year or two left in him, for sure. Yeah. We're probably saying goodbye, though. They haven't formally announced it to Dion Ferry. He will probably be bowing out of the setup. Dwayne Thorfamulin has actually retired, but now seems to be in talk with the Stormers to do one last URC season and Heineken Cup with them, which could be pretty epic for him to end it down there. Big Trev, 34 Vili, 34, you know, those guys probably also, Vili might get a, he's got a year at the Bulls now, maybe he'll get a look in a sort of utility for next year, but definitely not making the next cycle. Then you've got a lot of guys that are 33, Ronnie, Vincent, Gurbis, Mapimps. Can they make it? I don't know. Probably not. I think Mapimpi's probably out. Vinci as well, although he's at the Sharks. It'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, a lot of big names, like you said. Not many have formally announced their retirement yet. I'm surprised that you're actually telling me about Sia now for the first time because I know in his book he mentioned 2023 afterwards he'd, he'd be retiring. And yeah, it's nice to hear. Yeah, great to hear. And then I think the players probably most on the edge then is Bongi and Franz Malherber, both 32. I think Franz has probably got it in the tank to make another World Cup. There's not really any big challenger at tight head at the moment. So potential for him to to hang around. Eben signed to the Sharks to 2027. He's also 32. So we'll probably see him do one more World Cup and hopefully a three-peat for um, Forza as well. <laughs> Are we going to be those guys that now call it a three-peat? We're going for the three-peat. The three-peat. <laughs> of course we are. Of course we are. And then, Ronnie, just to maybe end it off, we have Warren Gatlin ruling himself out of coaching the British and Irish Lions. They'll be touring Oz in two years' time making way for Andy Farrell, which I think would be quite great to see him leading the, the British and Irish Lions. Agreed, going down to Australia. Yeah. And then the race for the Wallabies coaching position and the Fijian coaching position yeah. is going to be quite interesting because you've got Michael Checker who's available. You've got Ian Foster who's available. You've got a number of good coaches that are, are lurking around. Dave Rennie could possibly head to Fiji. It'll be very interesting to see what comes out of all of this now. Yeah, look, I also have been wondering about this one. I think there's a couple of contenders. Well, I haven't I've been following Australian media. I'm not sure if there's anyone else that's, that's already been earmarked to be in the running. Sad to see Eddie go, but, you know, look, maybe he's stuffed around a little bit too much with the Aussies. But, yeah, Dave, Dave Rennie, can he come back? I think he probably doesn't want to come back after what Australia did to him. Yeah, and 
Simon, Simon Rawuli from, from Fiji. Does he get a nod maybe in Australia? I don't know. But I think Michael Check is probably, probably going to get it. Your checks, I don't know. I don't know if he'll be going back. It'll be very interesting to see. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of shakeups coming and many coaching setups now after the World Cup. Yeah, we've been blessed with a good one. And now we have to wait until July 2024 to see the Springboks in action again. Yeah, and Six Nations is just around the corner. But uh, it sucks for us. We have, like you said, we have to wait, what is it, 10 months or something? Until we get now, but the, yeah, a lot of champions in action again. And that's a wrap, guys. And girls, if you enjoyed this episode and didn't mind our terrible puns, please do us a solid and smash that like button. Remember, subscribing to our podcast may not make you a better rugby player, but it will make you more knowledgeable around the bry while screaming at the TV. We might not have the biceps of a prop or the speed of a winger, but we've got enough rugby banter to keep you entertained for the entire season. Grab it all, light the bry, and we'll catch you back here next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.